Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. This is Impeachment 2.0 week. The trial of Donald Trump begins this week. The second trial of Donald Trump begins this week. So before we get into all of this, I want to just remind you about the offer that we're making uh, this week to the listeners of this uh, podcast, because we are so grateful for the fact that so many of you have, have tuned into the podcast. The podcast will remain free, but we are giving you a special offer to join to join Bulwark Plus, which is the membership in, in the Bulwark. If you go to thebulwark.com slash Charlie, you can get a 30-day free trial membership in Bulwark Plus. So you try it for 30 days, get my newsletter, The Morning Shots, get uh, JVL's Triad, listen to the other podcasts we have in our podcast suites, The Next Level, The Secret Podcast, um, maybe tune in to several of our uh, Bulwark Plus membership exclusive live streams, which we which we have been doing on Thursday night. And I think we intend to continue doing that. And if you like what you see, you can you can stay with us. You can be part of this community fighting against the insanity, the crazy, the bigotry, and the sedition. Um, or you know, if you make a different choice, that's fine as well. And you can you can bail out no obligation whatsoever. So I just wanted to pass that on. We're only offering this to the listeners of the podcast. So. On this Monday, February 8th, we're joined by the Bulwark's own Amanda Carpenter, our political columnist, Amanda Carpenter. So can you believe it's only February 8th, by the way? Uh, no, because I keep looking at the calendar, just wanting it to be May when all the vaccines are available and all this is just over. I'm trying to actually just skip over in my mind all of January and February and March, because yeah. that just reminds me we've been in this for a whole entire year. And I start thinking about how I actually haven't interacted with people outside of my family and cashiers at the grocery store for an entire year. And I, that gets me down. So I'm just looking straight ahead towards May and thinking about the flowers I'm going to plant and that kind of stuff. Well, speaking of January, yeah, we don't, I, I don't interact much uh, either, except of course on this podcast and on various, you know, Skype things. But um, it's it's like zero degrees here. I think it was minus fourteen in Wisconsin yesterday morning. Which, when you have three dogs, you know what that means. That you know, first of all, I don't want to spend a lot of time outside, and they feel very entitled. They feel entitled for me to spend a great deal of time outside. Wait, and do you walk the dogs, or can you just let them out and let them back in? Both. We can okay. do both because we have a lot. We have we have we have we have woods, but but they have a sense of entitlement that I need to come out and walk with them and play with them. So I will let them out and they go do your things, whatever, play romp. And it's like, no, dude, we want you, you have, you have to come out <laughs> and they have a, they have a schedule. So you can imagine how complicated it is when it's minus 14. Okay. So let's talk about impeachment. This is going to be an interesting week. And I want to get to that in a moment, but um, just for the moment, Liz Cheney, uh, what an interesting story this is. Yeah, every, every, everybody knows the backstory to this, that she voted to impeach Donald Trump. There was this huge blowback. Uh, Matt Gates flies out to Wyoming <laughs> to campaign against her. There was a move to have her stripped of her position. Number three uh, in the leadership position of the House GOP. She survives by a strong vote. And uh, even though apparently Kevin McCarthy had asked her to apologize, well, she is not <gasps> backing I'm just, down. I'm just dying to know what that conversation uh, went like. Right. Like Kevin McCarthy's had the weirdest group of meetings this week from sitting down with Marjorie Taylor Greene and then somewhere in the timeline before or after, who knows which, he says, hey, Liz, you voted for impeachment. I'd like you to apologize. 
what do you think she said? Do you think she just looked at him and just walked out the door? Do you think they actually exchanged words after he made that ridiculous request? I'm, I'm thinking there's a real possibility that the words pound sand, Kevin, were spoken. Or did she just look down at her iPhone and say, Fox News, I'd like to do a hit on Sunday. <laughs> so think about, no, actually, you know, Kevin McCarthy's had three really terrible meetings, right? I mean, so you, you have Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor, uh, would you promise not to be crazy anymore? That didn't work out, right? Yeah. So, and then you have the political malpractice of not handling the problem of Marjorie Taylor Greene. So it goes to the floor and 199 Republicans have to go, yeah, we're kind of okay with, you know, QAnon crazy, you know. Oh, this is funny. Yeah. yeah. So Marjorie Taylor Greene ate his lunch and then Steny Hoyer ate his lunch and then yeah. Liz Cheney. Ate his lunch and drank his milkshake. Oh, and then don't forget the Mar-a-Lago. The Mar-a-Lago, oh, you know, where he goes down to Mar-a-Lago on his knees, you know, tugs his forelock to the disgraced former president and, you know, begs his forgiveness and uh, apparently gets it. And the expiration date on that was, what, 48 hours? Because now we're finding out that Trump is furious. He's fuming. The, the you know, Charlie, Kevin- when we put it this way, it may not be that he's not very good at leadership. <laughs> It just might, yes, he might be bad at this. He might be really, really, really bad at this. But, you know, and they never seem to learn that there's never enough that you can do to satisfy Donald Trump. You just can't. So Trump's mad at him because of the Cheney thing, because he didn't do anything about it. So he's got pretty much everybody's telling him, just kind of flipping him off. Murder Taylor Green flipped him off. Liz Cheney. Donald Trump's going to try to stomp him again. So, but Liz Cheney. Uh, I, look, I, th- this is this is one tough woman. She is not intimidated. The Wyoming party, which is, by the way, apparently populated by a, a group of super crazies, passed this resolution with all this weird stuff in there about how the, the riots were really by Antifa and stuff like that. Well, she's not intimidated by that. She's not intimidated by the Matt Gates caucus. She doesn't give a you know rip about all of that. So she's not apologizing. So she goes on with Chris Wallace yesterday. And she, she, she actually went, I, I thought she went pretty, you know, far. She's calling on the Republican party basically to excommunicate uh, Trump saying, you know, he should have no role. Anyway, let's, let's play a little bit of soundbite about a minute of, of uh, Liz Cheney with Chris Wallace. This still the party of Donald Trump and does Marjorie Taylor Greene still hold a solid place in that party? Chris, we're the party of Abraham Lincoln. We're the party of Ronald Reagan. Uh, we have to really take a hard look at who we are and what we stand for, what we believe in. Uh, I think it, when you look at both uh, his actions leading up to what happened on January 6th, uh, the fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that, that uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate, uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes, uh, which resulted in five people dying who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence. Uh, that, that is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward. We have to make sure that we uh, are able to convey to the American voters we are the party of responsibility, we are the party of truth, uh, that we actually can be trusted to handle the challenges this nation faces like COVID. Uh, and, and that's going to require us to focus on substance and policy and issues going forward. But, but we should not be in embracing the former president. Okay. Amanda Carpenter, thoughts? That was great. I could edit it 
edit it down a little bit. Um, I, I do think it's a tough case right now that we are the party of truth and yeah, all that. That's, but the most reach. important, yeah, that's a reach. <laughs> Freddie Lincoln, kind of a reach right now, yeah, but yeah. I applaud the effort. Um, her most important words in that interview were that Donald Trump provoked an attack on mm-hmm, the Capitol mm-hmm. to stop the counting of votes exactly. that resulted in the deaths, et cetera. That, that, that's it right there. That is the truth. You don't need to do anything else. You need to focus in like a laser on the fact that he provoked an attack on the Capitol to stop the counting of votes. That's the whole game right there. She's the only one I've heard say it with such clarity, no hedging, no apologies. We should look at this. It was, uh, it was, what was, what was Nikki Haley's words? It wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't great. It yeah, wasn't his best. At the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. It was suboptimal. So, yeah, uh, you know, she's she's dug in and I'm loving it. Well, no, it it is the clarity. And that's why she's so uh, it it is powerful. Uh, So what I wrote this morning in my newsletter was, okay, she she was not never Trump. She was actually pretty much a Trump loyalist up until recently. But Mm -hmm. she's clearly now never again Trump. Now, that could be a thing, right? I mean, people who would go, okay, I was I enabled it. I was part of the Vichy Republican Party and everything. um, But uh, I'm willing to say never again Trump. Right. I mean, that's a, that's something It's a beginning. Yeah, that's definitely something. And I, I do think there's the temptation among people maybe like us to hold ourselves out as the purists. And we were right from the beginning. And because we are right all along, yeah. no one else can sit at our table. Um, if you want things to get better, <laughs> you, you have to broaden the invites to this party. Okay. Oh, I see. I thought you were going to beat up on me. I honestly, when we started this conversation, because, because I, I, I wrote this thing basically saying, Hey, listen, we have to, we have to have every principled voice come forward. Even the people who are, who are coming to it late, but, uh, we are going to need, uh, these, these converts to come around and we can't be super, super pure about all this and it's kind of like the you know the parable of the prodigal son but i i thought thought you were going to take the screw them line really well my screw them line is based on the people that took positions in december and january uh advocating the blocking of counting of votes i I think that's true they're they're irredeemable yes the people who were talking in December and January, because at that point, we knew there was no widespread fraud that could overturn the election. Bill Barr came out and made his statements. By then, there was there was no doubt, right? All doubt was removed. So if you were on that train, publicly advocating to stop Joe Biden's certification, whether it was at the local level and canvassing boards, or working with the state legislatures to block certification, or... Uh, doing it by objection in Congress, you are on the island. You can never get on the lifeboat, in my opinion. But if other people who were not active in that process are willing to say now that Donald Trump provoking an attack on the Capitol to stop the counting of votes is a line we shall never cross again, and anyone that was involved in that shall never be trusted again, I, I I can work with that. No, I can't. I can, I can too. And this is, I was, I was thinking about this over the weekend because uh, I was on a show where somebody was you know, talking about Ben Sass being too little, too late. And I said, wait, 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 wait. He's saying the right thing now. He's telling his members, you know, don't go with the crazy, the bigots, the, you know, the sedition. On conference. video. He's doing all of this. So the, then the question is, is there room for people like that at the table? And there has to be. 
Because if we're going to hold Trump accountable, if we're going to push back against all this stuff, we're going to need people like that who were wrong in the past, but are willing to say the right thing now, because we can't change what they did in the past. All we can do is influence them. And look, I'm, I, I think I'll be misunderstood when I say this, but you know, I think the case against Trump is overwhelming. I think it's urgently important they convict him. But this is a tough vote for a lot of Republicans because every Republican except Mitt Romney, if they vote to convict Donald Trump, they're kind of making an admission that they were wrong to back Trump for so long, right? I mean, to make so many concessions and everything. So they, they kind of have to you know, acknowledge that they were really, really wrong. And that's hard. That's difficult to do. So if we're on the outside or people on the outside throwing rocks at him and saying, hey, screw you anyway, we don't, you know, it's too little, too late. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are unredeemable. There's no redemption. There's no absolution for you. You were always evil and you're going to be evil. So there's no upside to you to make that vote. That's, shall we say, not helpful. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people on the Democratic side of the aisle who want to make that case. Yes. And and, and that is you know, I kind of feel like we're going back to 2016 a little bit where everyone wants to say, yeah, all Republicans are like Trump. They're all awful because they think saying that and doing that and building up the worst part of the party will make them easier to beat. And so I feel like there's a little bit of that going on again, where people, Democrats who are in power now can say, well, you just can't talk to them anymore because they're all like this worst fringe QAnon element because it makes them easier to beat. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of truth in that, but well, at the same time, that, that is not good for democracy if you want to try to find the people who are willing to uphold the underpinnings of that democracy. And I, I was chewing over this point um, when I've been writing my pieces about impeachment and Mitch McConnell's role in enabling the big election lies for the purpose of winning the seats in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And you know, Sarah Longwell's made this point and something I've been swirling around is that to impeach Donald Trump is to impeach yourself if you were right. and going along with that big election lie. And so would it be possible to make a more persuasive case to Republicans who did that about why what Donald Trump did was different and was unlike what they did? And listen, I'm not I'm not trying to absolve anyone. I'm just trying to make a persuasive case that might be able to get one or two more votes for conviction. OK, and so I. I think it's important to emphasize what Donald Trump did uniquely in his capacity as president to block the certification of Joe Biden's election at every level, whether he was pushing on Brad Raffensperger in Georgia, whether he was holding these meetings, whether he was you know, doing the big rally, whether he was praising the people who were storming the Capitol, whether he was celebrating what they did after. And so focusing specifically on what Donald Trump did as president and why that was different and worse than everyone else, to me, would make a more persuasive case. No, I agree. And, you know, but also you you and I both know how hard it is to sort of admit you were wrong. Yep. I mean, we have, you know, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, you, you've got, you've got Ted Cruz. I got Ron Johnson. What can I say? You know, I mean, I, you that's know, why I have Jim Clement now too, because okay, he's but, and of course, you know, everything on Twitter, well, when are you going to do penance for this? Well, okay. The last four fucking years of my life, I'm sorry. You know, I mean, what else do you want me, what do you want me to do? Well, here? I, got a, I got in a fight with Anthony Scaramucci about that the other night. Uh, it was, uh, it was a thing of beauty. Yeah. That was so uncomfortable. I just, you know, sometimes things happen to cable. You don't know who you're going to be on with, and, and that's fine. That's part of it. It's no big deal. Um, 
but yeah, just I, I have a when we're talking about who's redeemable in some respects, people that you know were working maybe in the administration at the FCC or at the State Department who thought they could mitigate damage or advance goals are just in a completely different department than the people who pushed his lies with their own mouths in public. And maybe yeah. that's my perspective as a former communications person in knowing, you know, what, what is ethical <laughs> and what isn't. But if you were in a prominent position, pushing the lies about Donald Trump to the public, I don't yeah. care on, on whatever issue, because we all knew what kind of person he was. Yeah, There's no, there no mystery. Yeah. And so if you made the judgment call, then to say, yes, I want to mouth his lies and be his mouthpiece. I, I, I just, I can't, I can't reason with you. I can't look at what you have to say now with an objective eye because I don't trust you and I will yeah. never trust them again. And I just, maybe that's something we have to work through, but I, I, I don't, I don't know how I will ever work through that. I'm not sure it's possible. No, I, I don't, I don't either. Speaking of which, so uh, Ron John's latest, there's a reason why we call him Ron Anon now. And, and before I even play this, I don't know. I have no idea. I cannot explain what has happened to this man. So he's on yesterday. This is a very, very short clip talking about the impeachment. He's, I mean, he is all in on, on whatever. It, I mean, it is like there's this rabbit hole that, that, that certain people fall down, and, and he, he has clearly fallen down this rabbit hole. Listen to this, Ron John. What is this impeachment all about? We now know that uh, 45 Republican senators believe it's unconstitutional. Is this another diversionary operation? Is this meant to deflect uh, away from potentially what, what the speaker knew and when she knew it? I don't know, but I'm suspicious. Amanda, I don't even know what he's talking about. Is this like a new thing now? It's like, you know, we're going to deflect it. It's really Nancy Pelosi's fault because what did she know and when did she know it? And maybe the whole impeachment. <laughs> Maybe it's just a deflection to protect Nancy Pelosi, who's probably in business with Hunter Biden somewhere. I mean, WTF, seriously. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi definitely sent a bunch of people with Trump flags uh, to her <laughs> office on a mission to kill her and steal yeah. her computer and try to sell it to Russia. Yeah, it's she did that. She definitely planned that. That was like some super, super 4D galactic chess, right? That's how this works. Um <laughs> Uh, there's actually a really good article in the New Republic. I think it posted over the weekend. The title is The Democratic Party Has a Fatal Misunderstanding of the QAnon Phenomenon. And there's a portion of it that I think was spot on because we always get in this debate about like, how does Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Ron Johnson do this? Certainly they know better. And that's exactly why. It's because they do. So let me just read this passage. Okay. The Republican Party is controlled by intelligent, college-educated, and affluent elites who concoct dangerous nonsense to paper over a bigoted, plutocratic agenda and to justify attacks on the democratic process. The agenda and those attacks are supported by millions of reasonably intelligent voters who will believe or claim to believe anything that furthers the objective of keeping conservatives in control of this country forever. And I think that's spot on. The people who are doing this are not these backwoods rubes who never made it up past third grade. Okay. They flew themselves to the Capitol. They were financed. They have their smartphones. They can pay for those smartphones with the highest 5G connection you can get so they can keep clicking the insanity because this is all just a cover to keep power. 
And I, I really believe that because I think these people probably know better, but they don't care because it gives them a story to keep themselves in power. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And, and so no matter how crazy it is, no matter how uh, you know bizarre it is, no matter how deceptive it is, that, that if it serves that purpose, they're willing to adapt it. That seems to, that seems to be true. So should we talk about the, the achievement that Josh Hawley has unlocked? Really an, an, an incredible thing that he's done. Oh, that, yeah. Tell me. That, I don't know. He has made himself the most hated member of the Senate, which is saying <laughs> a lot in a Senate that has Ted Cruz in it. I mean, it, 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 the, the Atlantic has a great piece on the, how the knives come out for Josh Hawley. How did Hawley become the most hated man in Washington? Uh, sometimes ideological allies turn on one another because they don't want to admit their collective sins and they need somebody to blame, which is interesting. But it's interesting that the distinction that, she, that Emma Green draws between how much they hate Hawley and how much they hate Cruz, uh, Ted is now just that annoying fly in the room. Okay, we'll swat it eventually, a Republican campaign operative told me. Josh is seen as so much worse. <laughs> so you have to work pretty hard. I'm confused by Josh Hawley, not because of like he's made himself into a fake free speech martyr, martyr, but I keep reading about how everyone thinks he was the rising star and the just most intelligent, smooth thing you've ever come across. I, I don't, I don't see it. Like, how do you get that reputation? Because I don't see, like, I, what am I not paying attention to? Everyone tells me he's just absolutely brilliant. Based on what? I mean, I'm asking this as a serious question, not a mean question. But, like, when you go to these law schools and all these scholars say, well, he was the most brilliant thing I've ever come across. And I saw him as president. Wh what are they looking at? Because I would like to see it to understand it. Because I do not. I think they're grading on a curve. I mean, when, when, you, when you think about it to say, this is the most thoughtful Republican elected right. official, the standard is pretty low, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like, hey, compared to Tommy Tuberville, this guy is genius, right? I mean, is it the soft bigotry of low expectations? Oh, absolutely. Maybe that's at play? You know, I read one of his early articles and people were saying this was when he was like, he's the new thinker. He's trying to reconceptualize conservative principles. And I read it and I thought, this thing is just a, a shallow piece of shit. You know, I mean, it just, it didn't, it, it didn't have any depth. It didn't have any substance. It looked like he was kind of going through the motions and I was really unimpressed. And so I was surprised when people began to sort of hail him as, you know, big thinker, deep thought. Okay, good. I wasn't the only one confused. Yeah, not at all. So you mentioned something very interesting, uh, free speech, this free speech thing. Mm. which has become the, the huge thing, you know, the cancel culture, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The biggest way, thing. Isn't, isn't the most delicious story of the weekend that um, the cancel culture came for Lou Dobbs, but it was Fox news. Fox news is the, it was, was, was the one that canceled Lou Dobbs. You turn on Fox news, you think cancel culture is the worst thing in the world. And yet who does it? It's Fox news. So, yeah, it's, it's almost like there's not any principles at play. And this is just about power and having an excuse to shut down your enemies and grabbing all the spotlight for yourself. Yeah. Could that be it? Yeah. So tell me about the free speech thing, because this is this has become this really obsessed. This this is the one thing that conserve that the right and the conservative media seems to have settled on that they somehow are now the champions of free speech. And of course, this is going to be one of the defenses of Trump at the trial. That uh, that, you know, you, you can't you can't convict him because, you know, when he was saying, you know, go to the Capitol and fight and fight like hell and all of this, uh, he was just exercising his free speech rights. 
Yeah, and I wrote a piece last week about how the whole free speech debate is a complete dodge because Trump can wholly be judged on his actions, but everybody wants to hide behind the First Amendment to justify him provoking an attack on the Capitol. And so I think the impeachment managers would do really well to focus on his actions and not just play what he said at the rally Mm -hmm. and the videotapes of the violence, because we know we know that's what happened. Me to me, the run up of what he did to lay the groundwork through his actions and his capacity as a candidate and president are far more important than him saying, you know, go fight win at the rally. Although that is incredibly important because there's a huge difference between say a football coach saying go fight win at a football game and the commander in chief saying go fight win to an armed group of people who feel that they are about to embark on a mission from God to save America from destruction. So yeah, maybe the context is a little bit important, but the free speech debate that is going on and has been going on, I mean, probably over the last year, it's the hottest thing in conservative MAGA media, free speech, cancel culture. And I think what is going on is what was um, suggested in the lawsuit um, launched by Smart, is it Smartetic? I don't know how to say that. I'm blanking on the word a little bit. Uh, one of the lawsuits against Fox Smartmatic News. Smartmatic or something. Smartmatic. Yeah. And so their lawyer said, hey, essentially what happened here is that Fox News needed a narrative. They needed to construct a story about good and evil. They needed a villain and they chose us. They chose us as a villain to campaign against and build your audience and get ratings. And I I think that's what this cancel culture and free speech debate is about. It's about the Republican Party and MAGA media trying to find an enemy that is so vague that there's actually no target, right? You are campaigning against like this ghost. There is such a thing as cancel culture when it comes to say like a high school student who said something in middle school and then can't get into college based on a random comment. Um, It's entirely different when you are say, a United States congressperson named Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene, and you are in a position of power. But this, these big fights against the liberal media and how they cancel people and big tech, these are amorphous enemies that you will never catch. And when you look at their policy prescriptions, would only cancel themselves. So there's nothing serious about it except for trying to find an enemy to campaign against because Joe Biden isn't really doing it for you. And until you can build up AOC enough to smash her down with gaslighting her over the trauma that she um, endured at the Capitol and in her office, you know, this is just the stand-in. No, it is. And, and you, you make the point that their policy prescriptions not only don't don't solve the problem, but they actually make it worse. So if you remove the the Section 230 protections from the social media platforms, then they could be sued for anything that anyone posts at any time, which does not necessarily enhance free speech, does it? As they are finding out in real time that, uh, that you know, saying, you know, completely untrue, fabricated things can actually carry a cost. It is interesting how these lawsuits now are accomplishing mm-hmm. what none of the other pressure, uh, you know, pressure tactics have been able to do. It's really focused the mind of people when a company comes forward and says, you know, we're going to sue you for $2 billion. And no company is so big that they can ignore the possibility of, uh, you know, I mean, the, the cost of something like that. I just, you know, kind of like, 
over time, how much money has Fox News spent on bad and unethical behavior of their hosts? Just like settling, like whether it's claims from Bill O'Reilly or I don't know, Kimberly Guilfoyle, whatever happened to her, and settling all these things and now getting slapped with this for what was a major story across the network. I mean, I, isn't it weird how Fox Business became the worst actor? Maybe they thought they would get away with it because, uh, who? Fox business isn't really Fox news and we can just do all the conspiracy stuff. I mean, Maria Bartiromo's Sunday show was just an invitation for Devin Nunes and Lindsey Graham anytime they wanted. And I'd only catch it sometimes because I'd be driving back and forth between doing a Jake's show and listening to Brian Stelter. So I'd have to listen to it. And it was just all Republican conspiracy hour all the time from the Russia investigation through the 2020 election. Well, that raises the question that, that if you fire Lou Dobbs the day after the lawsuit is filed, um, why would you keep Maria Bartiromo on? Because she's also clearly, you know, well, she's being sued. She's been named in the lawsuit. And her stuff is, you know, she, she doesn't have the senility defense that Lou Dobbs might have been able to offer. <laughs> right? Lou no, Dobbs could have said, I'm old. Sure. I'm old. I just, I got confused. You know? Yeah, I think they, I think they're business fox business plan so to speak was essentially to just to cater to trump's whims and deliver his message straight to the audience and ethics who cares truthfulness who cares and that's essentially what oan news is doing right now um and just begging for trump to come back on their air give them a message to deliver because they're dependent on him for their audience. So there's this daisy chain right now for people to understand. So there's Fox News, which is looking over its shoulder thinking, OK, yeah. we, we can't be outflanked by Newsmax. And Newsmax is even crazier than we are. But then Newsmax has certain standards and won't let my pillow guy come on and rant and rave. So OAN, the further down the daisy chain, is going, we're even crazier than Newsmax. <laughs> So they're all like looking at, you know, hey, you know, if we actually had standards. If we actually told our audience this is not true, this is crazy, uh, they might go to Newsmax. And if Newsmax says it, they might go to OAN. And there's going to be something. I don't know what's, you know, what's further out there. Uh, it's, it's, a weird competition. it's a weird competition to be the best Trump propaganda machine. Yeah. It is. That's exactly what it is. And so you do have this this race to the bottom, which is really extraordinary. There's a big piece in Politico of, of somebody who had to watch OAN for for 12 hours straight. And it's it's just this incredible, you know, just, you know, fire hose of, of nutty insanity, crazy stuff. Yeah, and it reminded me a lot of the story that uh, Tim Miller wrote for the Bulwark about watching Newsmax for a similar amount of time. But what was really interesting in the OAN story is how the anchors consistently through the day were dropping nuggets against Ted Cruz yeah, about how yeah. mad they were that Ted Cruz had the audacity to say that some of Trump's rhetoric was reckless. And so I, I mean, I just kind of chuckled because that means Cruz is in no man's land. He destroyed his reputation as a, smart constitutional legal scholar who would uphold the values of democracy. And he blew his efforts at appeasing the Trump base by just daring to say that maybe Trump had some bad tweets. So forget it. Forget it. There's this there's no there's no path years. To, this yeah. is after four years of debasing himself in every imaginable way. 
know, and not enough. So if he, if Ted Cruz is in no man's land, where is Nikki Haley? Who every once in a while will try to, I'm going to say something independent. I'm going to criticize them. And then within 24, 48 hours, she runs back and says, no, 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 I didn't mean that. Right. But this is, this is the tragedy of these litmus tests, right? And the loyalty tests. You can never, you can never win them because the whole point of Trump's loyalty test from him and the MAGA media is to prove eventually, once you get down the daisy chain, that only Trump is good and pure and Trumpy enough. Only he wins the loyalty test. There is only right? Zool. Like, there is yes, only Trump. His family couldn't win the loyalty test. It, I mean, the whole point is to prove that he is the best, he is the leader, and everyone else is second best or worse. So let's talk about the trial that's going to start. Um, New York Times had a piece about uh, how the House Democrats are preparing to do this there. What they, they plan to mount, and this is from the New York Times, they plan to mount a fast-paced cinematic case aimed at rekindling the outrage lawmakers experienced on January 6th, armed with lessons from Trump's first impeachment trial, which even Democrats complained was repetitive and sometimes sanctimonious. Mm-hmm. The prosecutors managing his second are prepared to conclude in as little as a week forego distracting witness fights and rely heavily on video, according to six people, blah, blah, blah. Now, uh, then political playbook comes out and says that some of the managers are feeling muzzled, though. So there's obviously some leaking back and forth, some backbiting. Um, They're feeling muzzled because they wanted to have witnesses. They were hoping to have very, very compelling witnesses like people who were caught up in the in the riot, maybe Capitol Police officers. What 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 is your take on on, on whether there ought to be witnesses or whether or not you think the, the, the cinematic video approach is, uh, is, is the right way to go? I think the good thing is that the Democrats have realized they have to make a compelling presentation and put on a show, so to speak, mm-hmm. because they're unlikely in getting the 17 Republicans to vote for conviction. So this is really about establishing the record and presenting the case to the public. Okay, good. I think they know that. My question is, why haven't you done that? Why why are you waiting until tomorrow to start unveiling this? Because if the point is to drive a public narrative, then you should have been laying this groundwork a week ago with every surrogate you have in the media pointing to these three to five bullet points that establish the case. I mean, this is the mistake they just keep making over and over that the right fully understands. If you want to build the narrative and convince the public, you have to blanket the airwaves with an easy to understand message with all your people. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we all were there. We all saw it. Um, Yeah, yeah, we all saw it. We all saw it. But if you're trying to establish Trump's guilt, you have to build the case about what he did that led up to that. What, what, right, and not, and it's not just the 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 remarks that he made. So yes. I'm I'm torn. I can imagine very very compelling testimony, but I have to say that my the the main thing is is that they make this thing they they tell that story as graphically as possible. This is very unusual because all those senators were there. They were there in the building. They saw it. Uh, there's really no mystery about it. So I, you know, in, in, well, let in me the, turn that around. They yeah. were there, they saw it, and they still don't care. So what are they going to care if they watch a movie well, about it in the well, Senate when they can just close their eyes and yeah, drink a right. glass yeah. of milk? I mean, that's that's right. I mean, and we don't know. I mean, what they have to do is they have to make this as uncomfortable and difficult as possible for these these senators. Um, I, look, I, I, I have I, I think the, the chances of them getting to 17 are slim and none with the emphasis on none. 
Um, but I also hope that they get the senators to have to come to grips with, uh, with with what Trump did. I mean, clearly the strategy is going to be to play this card that it's unconstitutional. He's an ex-president. Um, you know, the, the, you know, I mean, which is basically a way for them to avoid having to, you know, up or down look at Donald Trump, the president of the United States, who fomented an insurrection aimed at the Congress to try to stop the counting of the electoral votes. I mean, this is so stunning. When you put it the way that Lynn Cheney, uh, Liz Cheney, not Lynn, Liz Cheney ha- has put it, it it actually, it just dwarfs any of the other impeachable offenses that we've had trials for. I mean, this is, we've had impeachments before, but they all seem so small compared to this, or this is so much bigger and the consequences of acquittal so much more dramatic. And I hope that they make that point. Yeah, I I, I think they will. But it is correct that the Republicans have just dismissed this outright in their minds through the Rand Paul play of just saying, well, we think this is unconstitutional. Therefore, I don't have to pay attention to it. And oh, by the way, we all say go fight win at the football game. So who cares? Right. That's why I just I'm going to keep drilling this point. This wasn't something that just happened on January 6th. There was a systematic, deliberate, premeditated effort on behalf of Donald Trump to oppose Joe Biden's certification at every level. It started before Election Day. It The narrative was laid down on Election Day. And then he worked with people to block Joe Biden's rightful certification based on a big lie that they deliberately made up. Donald Trump was told time and time again, you don't have evidence for this by uh, Georgia officials, by his own attorney general. Okay. He knew what he was doing was wrong. I don't want to get into this debate about maybe he really believed the lies. That was okay. No, there was no evidence of it. And he, and he kept inviting people in who would spin him stories to push the big lie. Um, and then, you know, through his actions, this just, it was so premeditated and so systematic. I, I can't get over that. And no, so the and, video and then, is just the culmination of that. We shouldn't see the video until the end of that story. That's just the final well, the video. I, I, I hope, I hope it has all of the times that, uh, the, the Trump lied about this. I mean, this is the, mm-hmm. this is the insurrection started by the big line. You are absolutely correct on all of this because you ask yourself, would any of this have happened if Donald Trump had not lied about the election? If Donald Trump had conceded on, on uh, November 7th, if he had not claimed that it was stolen, would the Capitol have been attacked? Would five people have died? If Donald Trump had not lied about this, would officer Brian Sicknick be alive today? And I think we know the answer to all of that. You know, I was going back and I was looking at some of these old videotapes of people like Steve Scalise um, going on television and asked, well, will you acknowledge that Joe Biden has won the election after December 14th when the Electoral College votes? And he's like, no. The only reason that January 6th had any significance whatsoever is because of this concerted plan to overturn the election orchestrated by Donald Trump. They ignored every other date that normally in the constitutional process is, is crucial. The only reason that January 6th was important was because Donald Trump lied about the election, said it was stolen, and led people to believe that either Congress could overturn the election or that Mike Pence could unilaterally overturn the election. These were crazy ideas, but that's why people came, 
you know, prepared to fight in the way that they were because they aren't many of those people honestly believe that 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 if if they did something that Donald Trump could win the presidency. He said that, you know, if if Congress does what we will win the presidency, which you think about how lunatic that is. The president of the United States on January 6th saying that that there could something could happen that could overturn an election he lost by seven to eight million votes. Just nuts. I agree it's all nuts and lunatic and crazy, but I, I think we that gives him too much leeway. Yeah, you're right. These, not, these not were deliberate, malicious lies constructed for the purpose of hanging on to power. No, I stand correct. You are you are absolutely correct. No, you you're you're you're, you're right. The fact that it's nuts, it was it was with malice aforethought. It yes. was planned. It was a conspiracy, and the fact that it went on for so long that the that the the predicate was laid long before the election that he was setting it up this way. The yep. fact that he rehearsed the way that he would declare victory on election night, um, and and then after it was over, after it was over, and people don't remember this because he got banned from Twitter shortly after it, and everything went down the memory hole. After the riot was over that evening, he wrote, these are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly and unfairly treated for so long. Go home with love and peace. Remember this day forever. He, what do you call that? He wasn't remorseful. He said, these are the things that happen. You got what you deserved, Congress. That's what he's saying. Remember this day. And Go home was, in love and, and peace. And that was it. That was tweeted at six o'clock that night. Okay, so at that point, when he tweeted that out, we already knew what had happened. We knew how violent it was. This has been going on for hours and hours and hours. And that's what he tweeted. And he deleted it afterwards. But I, I, I think that's an incredible tweet. And by the way, I hadn't seen it until you retweeted it the other day. And I didn't know it. I, I I had forgotten it until Sarah Longwell brought it up on the live stream the other night. Yeah, no. <laughs> so there's a little circle on that. But I I am going to hammer it home every second I get. Remember this day forever. Yeah, I so th there are like vague hints that some of the some of the senators that voted uh, with the the 45 to say that it was unconstitutional might still vote to convict. I, I think that that's, again, not not likely to happen. But it is interesting that some of them are saying, okay, my vote you know, on that Rand Paul motion does not necessarily mean how I'm going to vote uh, on conviction or acquittal. So any, any wiggle mean, probably, room? In? Yeah, I think there is wiggle room. I mean, you can take the approach maybe that a Pat Toomey would be considering is that we voted on the issue and the Senate majority ruled that it was constitutional. Therefore, I will go to the hearing and act as a juror and rule on the merits of the case. I voted this way and I lost. And so move on. I'm going to hear the case. They, yeah. Someone could take that approach because right. that is what happened. No, it, it's like you, you make a motion in the case and the, and the judge overrules you. You still go ahead then with the case, right? Yep. I mean, you, if, still if, have to, you still have to defend your client. If right. you know, whatever, you still have to show up and do your duty. So what else are you, uh, you watching over the next week? Um, oh, my gosh. I it's going to be a quiet week, finally. Yeah. Never. Um, you know, I was thinking about the whole free speech thing some more because I think it's the biggest abuse of an issue that I've ever seen in the way that it's being weaponized to silence 
the opponents and give uh, the proponents of it the spotlight. But if this is if Rand Paul is really going to stand up and make a big free speech debate thing in the Senate and hide behind that, I, I just think it's useful to reflect back on how Mitch McConnell called a vote <laughs> to stop Elizabeth Warren from reading a letter from Coretta Scott King that reflected poorly on Jeff Sessions. <laughs> like he shut her down for that. And yet like, oh, okay. Cancel culture of Donald Trump. It's just like nobody's sincere about it whatsoever. You know what I feel bad about? It? We, we, we spent this whole time uh, talking um, about uh, the, the, the trial and various things that are happening. We didn't talk about what Joe Biden's done over the last two and a half weeks. And it's not because he's not doing anything, because he's got an incredibly fast start and moving ahead with a $1.9 trillion package. You got Mitt Romney out there with the new proposal for $3,000 per child benefit, which I find fascinating in the debate, the way that's breaking down. Uh, so... I am looking forward to that moment where we can go, okay, can we talk about the current president, what's going on right now, as opposed to still talking about Donald Trump in February of 2021? Yeah, the politics of COVID and the stimulus bill, that is really under the radar. And I saw Pat Toomey in the Sunday shows and some other people talking about how they opposed it because too much money. And listen, I think it's a good thing they stripped the minimum wage hike out of it because that would have been really hard on poor states who are trying to get restaurants and bars and things going already without the burden of a minimum wage hike. Um, but I keep, as we talked about in the beginning, fast forwarding to May and how people are going to process this when they come back together again. I mean, people, when they return to the workplace, if you haven't been there for a year, it's going to be really emotional. And when people come back and starting start to talk again, who do they hold responsible and how? And do they view Joe Biden as a person that dug us out of this mess and the Republicans are the ones that put us into it? Um, and I saw a couple of news stories that Democratic operatives want to, you know, plan to campaign against Republicans on the stimulus bill and who delivered those efforts. And so that that's not going to happen now. But I think that's the story that will be coming all spring and summer once we're out again and how Republicans played no constructive role in getting people back to school and work. You know, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those I think this is one of those stories where the Biden administration will be judged by the success or failure um, of of the um, of, of the plan. They'll either get the they will either get the vaccines out of that will either be a success or a failure. The economy will either come back and be strong or it won't. And nobody's going to care about the process stuff. So, I mean, you know, at every one of the press briefings, they're always asking, about, well, should you be bipartisan? Was it wrong to be bipartisan? At this point, I think they've made the the right decision. Look, um, we just got to get this thing done. We got to get it done um, because it, no one's going to we don't get any um, points if we wait six months and fail because but but got three or four Republican votes or we got 10 Republican votes. That, that is not the but most honestly, important thing right now. Yeah. Why would Biden, like does Biden really want to share it if it's the Biden stimulus bill that paves the way to people going outside again? Absolutely. All the better for him, right? No, I'm worried about the debt and I'm worried about shoveling money out the door. And But at, at this point, when we've been locked down for more than a year, you've lost the right to argue about it, in my opinion. 
Well, also, and the fact that the Republicans managed to raise the the national debt by you know eight nine trillion dollars, okay. I, I just I you know I, I think of all the arguments that I would have made you know pre Trump about all of this, and you can, you can tell how sincere the Republicans and the conservative uh, you know uh, intelligentsia were about uh, deficit reduction. Amanda Carpenter, thank you so much for kicking off what will be another consequential and crazy week um, in post Trump America. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We will be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.